Scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as is fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who, are, who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Well, we are, um, let's say, working through this passage where Paul is telling us how we put on Christ, how we live in the newness of life of Christ, and we, um, uh, we do so um, imitating Christ. And one of the things I wanted to point out is, have you noticed how this follows the Ten Commandments? Um, the Ten Commandments are how we love God and love one another, and here we have um, uh, been told to put away falsehood, so don't bear false witness, but rather speak the truth in love, speak the truth with one another. Jesus showed us how anger um, leads to committing murder in our heart, and so be, be angry, but don't sin, don't have sinful anger, and, and here, uh, as we hear, thou shalt not steal, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Um, and so we're going to look at this verse 28, and as we begin with, um, do not steal, let the, let the thief no longer steal, um, I feel very strongly that I should share, I don't want to plagiarize, and I'm, I've been heavily influenced in a lot of my thinking on this sermon uh, from things of uh, Tim Keller, especially in his book on um, Every Good Endeavor, uh, a book about work. So my conscience is clear that anything I've said, that if it sounds really good, you could probably find it in Tim Keller. And uh, um, any of the goofiness is just my mind going astray, though. So uh, we, we, I'm, not, I'm not sure we, we talk about this as much. We, we almost assume we shouldn't steal. Um, but it's good to say it explicitly, a reminder that we are to um, respect private property. We respect the possessions that belong to another. And there, there seems to be more voices um, rising up that are kind of making accusations against people who have stuff uh, rather than vo vocally saying, we need to respect what belongs to others. And we, you know, and, and insist that others respect what belongs to us. I know. There was um, um, last year, as there were riots and where property was being destroyed, there was almost this attitude of violence destroying and hurting other people's property and business and looting really is ins insignificant. It is. It is. It is very significant because there is things that are that that people own, and we we are to respect that people who have worked and produced by their own. Um, hands and efforts, 
And it's easy to kind of accuse others of being greedy and, and look at big nameless corporations and say um, they, they don't really deserve this and that anybody who has anything has done so cheating, but that is not a biblical worldview. People own things, and throughout Scripture we see this understanding that, um, that yes, there, there can be greed, and we'll discuss that in a minute, but... There's a respect for the understanding that people own things and what belongs to them, if, if it has been gotten through work and through honest labor, it is theirs and it is deserved and that ought to be respected. And so we, because of that, um, we, we respect um, property, resources, um, efforts, you know, and, and we say don't steal. So... Uh, obviously, that means don't take things that don't belong to you, whether it's just going somewhere and picking something up, but it also in being honest with your business dealings so that if you've uh, you know, obligated yourself to do something for others, you do that. If you've obligated to um, pay for something over the course of time to debt, you, you make good on that, that payment. If you have, um, you know, hired somebody to do something, you make sure you pay them what you've agreed to pay them. Any, any of those dealings where you don't try to, either through uh, manipulation or uh, deception or uh, any other way, take things that don't belong to you or even take credit for things you know, that others have done, that we're honest in our dealings and so we want to do good work. Uh, we want to. I mean, sorry. We want to make sure that we respect what belongs to others. We we, we want to respect others' property, resources, um, and and that is something that, that seems obvious to us, but but probably should be said because um, things that seem so obvious, even in a few years, become confused. So one of the things uh, about the Bible is if you are a Christian, if you're following the Bible, there are going to be certain positions you take where people on one end of the political spectrum are going to say, yes, that is right. And others are going to say, whoa, you're way out of line. And if you're following the Scripture, I'm going to suggest that there is going to be at least parts of what you believe that that other, that that people who agree with you on one end of the political spectrum are going to say, no, I completely disagree with that. In other words, we are so divided. We have red side, blue side. I'm going to say if you're biblical, if you're really following the Scripture, instead of coming at this with the attitude of what you've um, been taught or, or whatever kind of tribe you line up with, there are going to be things in there that red side has said, yes, and there's others going to say, I don't think I can go with this. Let me find a better way to read the Bible. There's going to be things on the blue side that say, yes, that is right. I'm all in agreement. And there's other things of, no, I don't think that could be in there. That must be a textual error. In other words, Christians ought to have a third way. And there ought to be things in what we believe that either end are very comfortable with and either end are very uncomfortable with. In other words, we should be above the two-side debate and realize there's a third way. And that third way is following Scripture. Um, and this has always been. This is just the fact that every culture has good things. Every culture has um, sinful things. 
fallen things. And so anytime in the life of the church, there will be things that people will going to say, yes, that's right, and there's things that the rest of the culture will say, no, that's wrong. Uh, one of the earliest Christian writings was this guy named Diognetus. Um, I've never baptized a Diognetus, but we need more people listening to Diognetus. He wrote, For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by their country nor language nor customs which they observe, for they neither inhabit cities of their own nor employ a peculiar form of speech nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. Uh, he goes on to show that, you know, that they, they look like everybody else. They eat the same food. They drink the um, same drink. They, they dress like people. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land to, is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth is a land of strangers. They marry as do all. They beget children, but do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Isn't that great? It says they're like with everybody else, but they really stand out different. And one of the things is, you know, in a world that says you only eat with your social category and people who can repay you, and you only have your social network with people who are in your level, it says they have a common table. Um, they, they don't see class distinction. And, and, but then in a world that says, you know, um, sex is for pleasure. You should just go have as much pleasure as possible. No common bed. We're, we're going to be faithful in our marriage. We're going to be um, chaste, and we're going to follow very strict in that way. Uh, they, they stand out as being, we're going to work hard, and we're going to be obedient. We're not going to, um, um, you know, rebel against um, certain things. And yet going to be generous and give what we have and share with others uh, to the point of, in Acts pointing out, of having all things in common. And it should be obvious that neither of these line up with the, the tendency in our culture to say, or, do you watch CNN or Fox News? There should be things that, you know, um, line up with either and also contradict. And I say that because, yes, we are um, to... Um, look at this, this idea of, of not stealing and to doing work, but in a way that's different from the world around us. So we're going to look primarily at the positive injunction. We no longer steal, but now we do honest work. We do, uh, the, the word there means good work or beautiful work or fine work. In other words, work that is good for others, work that's helping out others and is honest and is doing good things. And we are called, rather than stealing, to do good, honest, profitable, beautiful work. And in doing so, we, we look at a God who created us to work. He made us and put us in a garden to tend it and keep it. And the whole idea is that we are made and made to work under a God who works to govern over his creation, to care for his creation, and to tend for his creation, but also to take those parts of creation and impose an order on them that builds things and produces things and cultivates things to produce more food, to cultivate things that produces culture, that, that takes all of these things he has given us and to use our work in it to produce and to bring about things of beauty and things of good and things that care for others. And so throughout Scripture, there's not this idea that work is 
this curse. The curse is that the difficulty of creation against us who have you know, submitted the creation to futility. Proverbs throughout talks about um, hard work and laziness. Um, I always wonder when people talk about the Protestant work ethic. It's a biblical work ethic. We're told to work hard and to do good work, and we're told that laziness leads to um, difficulty and to subservience to others, and good work is to lead to flourishing and thriving. And this idea of doing good, honest, hard work is seen in uh, the New Testament where we're essentially given the idea that we are called to work. So Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says, For even when we were with you, uh, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we're, we're called to do work and to produce and to produce for our own um, you know, resource, care and self-preservation and, and doing those things um, where we're providing for ourselves that we are, are to do this. And notice that's a willingness. Um, the scripture also has a heavy voice that, that reminds us there are those who are willing but incapable, and we'll, we'll get to that as well. So in other words, your everyday, honest, ordinary work, work done well, work that creates beauty, work that is good in building up other people, work that is good in building things and making things and organizing and governing things, all of that is an obedience to God's command. You're, you're obeying a God who made you and called you to be part of this creation in cultivating it and tending it and keeping it. Now, one of the things, I think when we read these things, we tend to disconnect our work um, from um, so much in the Bible because it was agriculture. You know, we can see the shepherd, we can see the farmer, and then we go... Um, uh, and, and we work with machines and computer screens and really abstract and complicated processes and things. And so we're going to sing a hymn later on that might seem strange to you, but I love it because our God who calls us is not just a God of cows and sheep and other things on the farm. He's also a God of concrete and of steel, computer processes, the, the work that you do. God is Lord of all of it, and the work that you do is done in obedience to a God who is sovereign over everything, every motor, every piston, every thing that's part of it, and those complicated mechanical things I don't understand. So as you teach, as you work for justice, as you work to build and create, as you work to produce food, as you work to help others heal and be part of the process of, of bringing healing to others. You are being obedient to this command to do honest work, to do good work, to do profitable work. And here is where Paul gets us who might just try to say, good Republican sermon, good conservative sermon. What is the purpose, he says, so that you might share with others? There's no idea here of let me build up and stockpile as much wealth as I can have for myself and to build myself up and so that I can have as much fun and I can move up into another social tier and I can get something bigger and better and I can have a nicer watch or a nicer whatever 
the idea is not so that you can keep building yourself up and stockpiling wealth. What does he do? So that you have something to share with those in need. We're not called to earn everything and work really hard so that we can keep things out of greed or to keep things and have control and have power. We're, we're called to be part of the economy so that we see that there are those who need, those who are in, in situations where they don't have work, they're not able to provide themselves, those in a situation where they are less fortunate and they have needs, and those of us who have worked and earned so that we have, we can look at a brother and sister and we have something to share with those who are in need, that we have resources that I'm, I'm not just trying to claw my way through, but I have something now that I can, out of my blessings and overflowing, I can give to others. And throughout the law of the Old Testament and throughout Jesus' parables, we have this, this image of being open-handed with others, to seeing those who have need and being generous and giving to them and, and taking from what we have given and share even to the point of taking a loss and that we might not live as comfortably as we would like, or that we might not have as much luxury as we like because we have been open-handed with those who have needs around us we, we recognize needs of brothers and sisters in the world, and, and we are generously giving to them. We're supporting the work of God that we are giving to these needs. Notice this, however, is not coerced. We can call for laws requiring people to give, and that might do some good, but there's no virtue in paying what is coerced and demanded of me. There is virtue and compassion in giving freely because you see a need and you have seen the generosity of the Father to you. But he who, in Christ, we, we see one who uh, was rich and became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. We, we take that and it melts our hearts so that we see someone around us with a need. Of course we give to what we can. Of course we open our hands to those who have needs and give because that generosity overflows from our blessings. We ought to give freely. And in following Christ, um, we, we want to give to others. Doesn't that completely go against the grain? I'm not demanding others give. I'm demanding that I give. Uh, you know, we're looking at the needs, and we and this is one thing I will say. You know, studies show that Bible-believing Christians tend to give more to charities than any other group. The the ones who really get this and follow this really do. So how are how are we doing on that? Are we generous? Are we working hard so that we can have open hands with others and needs around us? Are we seeing needs? Are we looking for excuses to not give? I will um, quote John Wesley, earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. Isn't that great? You, you earn as much as you can so that you have more to give and to give freely to others. Incidentally, that is the, one of the things when we run the Dave Ramsey course, that the idea there is to, to get yourself in a financial situation where you can have the blessing of giving to others. And so I commend that to you. But it's not only that you earn money and you have leftover money to give to others. But there is a sense in which, and I, I don't want to in any way downplay the idea of giving 
and being generous with the extra resources for those in need. But there's something that I, I think about as I see this is your work is needed. And as you work, you serve others and you give. It's not that you're just working so that you get money for your own life and your own livelihood, but you're working because there's others who need what you do when you work. Um, we had a family in Allsboro um, that they were repeat um, visitors to our deacons asking for resources. And um, we were with them over a long time, and it was just obvious they were happy just to get a check and ride around and when things get tight to see what the church would do extra. Uh, there, there was no intent of doing work. And I, I remember through that thinking, you know, there, there is an unfairness of someone who does this. And, you know, and that, that's not who, that's not everyone. So don't take that as, you know, uh, typical of everyone who comes to ask. But, but here was a family that was living up very much to the um, uh, typical um, uh, idea of someone who would not work. And what I realized through this was, you know, they, they're, they're, made, they're, they're able to live. They're able to survive. They're getting by. But it's not only that they're, they're taking resources that were not worked for, you know, earned. But they're not providing the needs that they could if they were to use their skills and use their abilities and, and to give of themselves to be paid an honest wage for what it, but there was things that needed to be done, and they were not participating in the life of the community that would help that. Does that make sense? In other words, I don't think this passage only means work so that you got money to give to people, but it's work because other people need your work. If you need an electrician, it's good to have an electrician come and get them what is owed to them for the work that's done, but also to to provide what is much needed and. As I look around and think of the things that are needed, when you do your work, you're, you're giving with those who need. And those are sense in which, um, you know, every time you build something, you're building something someone needed to be made. We need our young people to be taught. We need financial resources to flow uh, to, to provide things. We need medical care and concern. We need people to do these things. And in doing that, and being, even in being compensated, you're answering God's prayer. Martin Luther, uh, in commenting on the passage of the Psalms that I opened with, said, God could easily give you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. What else is all our work to God? Whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, or in war, in government, is such a child's performance by which he wants to give his gifts in the fields, at home, and everywhere else. Picture the mask of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. We have the saying, God gives every good gift, but not just by waving a hand. God gives all gifts, but you must lend a hand and take the bull by the horns. Make the bars and gates and let him fasten them. Labor and let him give the fruits. Govern and let him give his blessing. Fight and let him give the victory. Preach and let him win hearts. Take a husband or wife and let him produce the children. Eat and drink and let him nourish and strengthen you. And so on in all our doings, he is to work through us, and he alone may have the glory from it. God takes your work, your labor, and uses it to give to those who have those needs 
so that you may earn and give of your resources to those who need. Now let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.